Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Type 1 Tribe podcast. This is your host, Samantha Hildebrandt. Today on the podcast, we have Rob Howe. He is a Type 1 diabetic, used to be a professional basketball player. How cool is that? And he has his own podcast that has over 2 million downloads. Isn't that crazy? That's so awesome. So we talk about about that in the episode today. We dive into all things diabetes, what it's like for him living with diabetes, when he was diagnosed, how it was playing basketball, all of the above. So let's get into it. Hi, Rob. Hi, Samantha. Thanks for having me today. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. So tell us a little bit about you. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Dallas, Texas. Uh, we were kind of talking, it's a little bit of a, a gloomy Texas winter day today, and it's December 15th, which is uh, kind of a special day. It is the seven-year anniversary of uh, my company, Recreation Dallas, so uh, just kind of a, a fun little a fun little day on the calendar. Congratulations. That's awesome. Now, I want yeah, to hear you. all about that here in a moment. <laughs> So are you originally from Dallas? Sort of. I, I claim it as home because it's where I spent the most time growing up. But when I was younger, my dad's job caused us to move every couple of years. It, he wasn't in the military, but it was kind of like that military brat kind of thing. Like every two years we were in a new city. So uh, once we got to Dallas, I think I was 10 or 11 and uh, we stuck around here. This is where I went to school and high school and grew up. And then after college, moved back here and I've been back a little over 10 years. Awesome. I've, I've actually never been to Dallas. I feel like I've been to every other city in Texas, but Dallas, and I really want to come sometime. We got a great airport. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big, big part of it for sure. I actually have been to the airport for a layover, but I have not left the airport. So, <laughs> so what do you do for fun? So for me, from a fun standpoint, I love to travel. I love to play uh, athletics. Like being an athlete is a big part of my story. And uh, you know, a few years ago, I decided that I didn't have just because I wasn't a uh, professional anymore didn't mean that I couldn't still have fun and still make it a big part of my life. Uh, and my wife and I love doing creative projects. Uh, and, you know, whether it's photography or making videos, or uh, she's recently become a uh, like a thrifting and like bags content creator. So always kind of uh, finding ways to be creative and hanging out uh, with our dogs and our friends and, you know, doing a little bit of everything. I love it. Okay. You mentioned professionals. Were you a professional sports player? I was. Yeah. My, my diabetes claim to fame uh, was I was the first type one diabetes diabetic player to play for the Washington generals against the Harlem Globetrotters. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And actually, so I was following you on social media for a while. And then one time you posted something and I was like, oh my gosh, he's so tall. Like, you know, when, you know, when you know people virtually, like you don't really know what they look like. And then I didn't realize how tall you were. How tall yeah, are you? <laughs> I'm six, six. So yeah, I, I joke with people because that is a common reaction is like, I'm much, I seem more normal sized on the internet. And then you meet me in person and I'm yeah very, a lot taller than a lot of my peers, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. been a, a fun surprise over the years. That's great. So I'm assuming what you do for work is similar to basketball and all of that. Uh, no, actually, uh, I work, I, I'm an entrepreneur. So that's kind of like part of my bio is like starting businesses has always been something I was interested in. And I started diabetics doing things in 2015. I know we're going to talk a lot about that, but 2016, December 15th, 2016, my business partner Sterling and I started uh, an advertising agency, a creative agency called Recreation Dallas. And so when I'm not doing diabetes uh, content and advocacy uh, and creativity, I'm working 
uh, making content and ads and brand campaigns for brands. Wow, that's amazing. So what type of brands do you work with? All kinds of brands, really global and regional and local. Uh, American Airlines and 7-Eleven are two of our larger clients, uh, like very like kind of sort of household names. Uh, and then we do a lot of work with convenience store chains, like smaller regional ones, as well as uh, some service providers within the convenience industry. Wow, that's amazing. I do a little bit of marketing work too. So I always appreciate other marketers. And that, yeah, that's that's awesome. That's really great. So tell us about your type 1 diabetes diagnosis story. Yeah. So this time of year is always interesting for me because I'm coming up on my diversary. Uh, I don't know how many of your other guests were diagnosed around holidays, but when you're around your family, uh, people start to notice things that are different about you. Uh, so I was diagnosed on January 1st, 2005. I was 16 years old and I had the typical signs that, you know, at the time I didn't realize were signs of diabetes, uh, frequent urination, polyuria. Uh, I think I, the night before I was in a lock-in, uh, in it, like a high school lock-in at one of the malls here in town. And I, I think I started keeping track about uh, mid-afternoon and I went to the restroom 27 times over the course of that night. So it was very weird and I was super thirsty. Uh, I had lost some weight, uh, about 20 pounds in two weeks. And um, I'm, a, especially at that time, like a pretty skinny guy. So, you know, it was definitely noticeable. And then the next morning I woke up and was nauseous and my mom kind of has a sixth sense about these things and uh, was like, Hey, we got to go to the, we got to go to the urgent care. Uh, and so, yeah, I went to the urgent care and then uh, they, they tested, they listened to my symptoms, tested my blood sugar and said, Hey, we think you have type one diabetes. You got to go to the emergency room. And uh, sure enough, they were right. And, you know, I remember in the ER, they hooked me up to like an insulin drip to get my blood sugar down. And I just felt so much better. And I remember telling them like, Hey, whatever you guys just did, like, that's what's wrong with me. I, I can definitely tell. So I'm probably good now. Right. And then uh, they were like, no, you got to stay here for a few more days and go through the, uh, the diabetes education program. And I had an awesome care team. And, uh, you know, I ended up actually not even missing any school, which uh, as a 16 year old, I was pretty bummed about because uh, it like it took up most of my Christmas break at that point. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the story. And, you know, my, my care team set me up for success long-term with, uh, you know, I was really concerned about being able to continue to play basketball. That was the most important thing to me at the time. And they were very clear, like, you know, as as long as you take care of your diabetes, any dream that you have is still within reach. And they were really diligent in making sure that before I left the hospital, I at least had the, a basic understanding of the concepts and that set me up for success long-term. That's amazing. And I'm sorry that it ruined your holiday break. <laughs> so does anyone in your family have type one? No. So I'm the only one with type one in the family. My dad had psoriasis, you know, there's some other chronic illnesses throughout the family. And like, um, you know, we didn't do any antibody testing at the time for the rest of the family, but you know, there's, there's some like evidence there that there's some longer term chronic illnesses sprinkled about in the gene pool. But uh, yeah, I'm the only one with type one diabetes. That's so crazy. And I keep hearing that too. It's like everyone, a lot of people are the only ones that have type one, but their whole family have just a lot of different autoimmune diseases. So it's so crazy how that works. So what made you want to start your podcast? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So in 2015, I was traveling uh, on a work exchange through the International Center for Journalists, which is a, uh, a NGO in the United States that brings journalists from Central America, South America, and uh, Middle East and Africa to the US. And so that they can learn how we sort of do business here at different places. So whether it's publications, I was working at another marketing agency at the time. And we had some guys come in from Colombia and Honduras. And 
uh, I got to know them a little bit and kind of you know, just was helping them around. And they brought up some of the work that I had done with them when they went back to the sort of like end of the term meeting. And occasionally people get invited to from the US companies to go and do an exchange uh, in like and kind of go meet their cohorts in Central and South America and, and wherever they're from. So I got to go to Colombia for two weeks uh, with my friend Daniel and meet other entrepreneurs and startups and, and agency and journalism folks. And part of that, like I was there for two weeks, it's a long time, and I couldn't leave the hotel for the insurance of the trip past a certain time without the translator. And Daniel was my translator. And so I was there for two weeks. He had a life. He had to like go do some of the things some nights. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have a lot of time by myself just to sit and think. And I was like, okay, what do I want to accomplish with that time? And my career was going really well. I just met uh, my wife, my now wife. And I was like, okay, well, there's something missing. Like, how can I give back? And I remember this conversation I had with my dad when I was younger about, I was always happiest or always seemed happiest when I was helping people. So I'm sitting there in this chair in this hotel room in Bogota, Colombia, and my insulin pump comes falling out of my pocket just as I'm asking the question of, well, who could I help? There's so many people that need help. And uh, you know, some people may call it a sign, uh, but I looked at that. I was like, oh, well, maybe I could help people with diabetes. Maybe my story of being a person who played college and professional basketball with diabetes could, could help somebody. And so I knew that I found some diabetes bloggers. It was kind of early in the Instagram days. This was like summer 2015. And I was like, you know, if I become a blogger, that's a great way for me to write exactly zero blogs. And so uh, I just, just knowing myself and knowing my kind of like procrastinator writer brain, I had just listened to Serial, the podcast at the end of 2014, kind of like when it had that big viral moment. And I was curious about podcasting and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do 10 podcast episodes. And if one person reaches out and says that this helped them or they liked it, then I'll continue to do it. And uh, so we're, we're now 2023, at the end of 2023, we're still doing the podcast. We had over 50 episodes this year. And so, uh, yeah, thankfully somebody reached out and uh, said that it helped them and they liked it. And here we are. You've had like a ton of listeners. A lot, yes. Ton of yes. So yeah, over 2 million, uh, over the course of the, the eight years and, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's been awesome and like all over the world as well. So, you know, basically any English speaking country uh, and, you know, fortunately for me, like English is is widely accepted. So people love uh, podcasts all over. And uh, so I think 80 countries and 2 million downloads all time. And uh, we have a really great group of engaged listeners. And even this year uh, on Spotify wrapped, we had like 75 people. We were their number one podcast. So that was really cool just to be like, you know, hey, there's a small group of people who really ride for us and, and listen to our, our stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. I've listened to a few episodes too. They're they're great. So who is like your favorite person you've ever interviewed? Oh man, that that's a tough thing. I, I don't I don't necessarily want to play favorites. I would say that there's a couple, there's two people that come to mind. Uh, the first is Gary Forbes, who was the last person with type one diabetes to play in the NBA. And I was in college in Colorado. Uh, he played for the Nuggets and the Raptors when he was in the NBA. But when I was in college, I read an article uh, in the Denver Post and I was going through a really rough time in my basketball career and with my diabetes actually. And I read this article in the Denver post of, uh, Hey, Gary Forbes is playing for the nuggets and he has type one diabetes. And so, you know, being able to see him do that 50 miles away was like, Oh, okay, really? I can do this. And like, you know, so that's a, I'm a big advocate of like sharing your story. Cause you never know who you're going to reach and when, uh, and 
so Gary and like becoming friends with Gary over the years, we actually did a clinic in Denver in September called Diabetes Legends. And he came out and we had like 50 kids uh, in Colorado in Centennial. We had like awesome just basketball clinic day. And so now getting to be his friend all these years later, uh, when he didn't even know his story was inspiring me to to chase my dreams and do and and do try to live my life with diabetes the way I wanted to, uh, was really cool. And then my friend, Jeremy Robertson also is, is awesome. He's a pilot in, uh, in Australia. And he was one of my first like favorite interviews of like, Oh, wow. We're like, we're really doing something interesting because he was diagnosed with diabetes at age 31, uh, with type one. And he was already a Qantas pilot. So he was flying from Australia to the United States on a regular basis. He lost his wings right away and his whole life. He wanted to be a pilot. Uh, and you know, if that was me, I feel like I would have like at least sulked or been a little bit sad or depressed for a little while, but Jeremy is just built different. And he enrolled in medical school and became a doctor and just like you do. So he's a pilot and a doctor. And, uh, you know, over the last few years, he has worked with, uh, the aviation associations and also these smaller cohorts of type one pilots throughout the world to help pilots with type one commercial pilots with type one, get their wings back and be able to fly commercial aircraft again. So meeting him for the first time was really amazing. And uh, just, I don't know, it's, it really is a global community of people. And I'm very grateful to be able to communicate with and, and play a small part in that global diabetes community with such amazing people. He sounds like an amazing guy. And I'm right there with you. I would have been like crying. I would have been upset. I would not have went and got a medical degree. So props to him. That's absolutely yeah. crazy. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's super inspiring. And uh, you know, now he gets to, uh, you know, be a part of other pilots getting their wings back. And, you know, that's just, uh, pilots are a different breed. They like really love flying. They really love aviation. And so to be able to, uh, get back to doing what you really love to do, uh, is, is super important. And I really appreciate all those. I don't know if celebrity is like the night, the right word, but all the famous people, the sports players that really talk about their type one, because it does make such a difference for like the little kids. And it just, I don't know. It's just so nice that they do that for them. Well, I think it's interesting. Like everybody's story is different. Everybody wants something different. Sometimes being an athlete or an overachiever, like doesn't resonate with people. But I think that's one of the positives of the diabetes community is you can discover someone who wants to start a podcast or somebody who wants to be a yoga instructor or somebody who wants to run a marathon or somebody who just wants to learn about going to college or traveling or flying uh, across the country. And I think that's uh, super important. Like whatever your dreams are with diabetes, like, you know, they, they could be small. They're still important. Uh, you know, you may not want to run an ultra marathon. I, I get it. Uh, but I think that's, uh, you know, what diabetes affects everybody and we're all so different. And even the way we manage our diabetes is so different. So I think that's, that's a big focus of mine is to tell as many stories as uh, from as many walks of life as possible. So that when someone who is interested in those things is diagnosed with diabetes, that they, you know, they find somebody that they can be inspired by. Yeah. I love that. That's great. So how do you manage your type one diabetes? Do you use any technology? I do a lot. Uh, as most of us do, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, uh, I wear the Medtronic MiniMed 780G system. Uh, I've been wearing that now for about six months. Uh, it is my favorite pump thus far. Uh, and you know, I've been on insulin pumps since 2008. So, uh, you know, a lot of time spent on the pump. Uh, part of that, I also wear the Guardian 4 sensor, which integrates with the pump and it uh, is automated insulin delivery hybrid closed loop system. Uh, so, you know, most of the time my diabetes and my pump are, are working in the background while I'm kind of just living my life. And I really love that, uh, that approach. And, you know, I think 
devices are very personal decisions for people. And, you know, what works for one oftentimes doesn't work for another, but, uh, you know, this is something, and, and I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast is I have been pretty hands-on with my diabetes historically. I, I really like to manage, uh, tightly and like, you know, get good outcomes and good numbers. And for the first time, I'm, I'm really comfortable letting this pump do its work by itself. Uh, and, uh, trust that it's going to make the decisions that, uh, that I wanted to make. And, uh, it's been a really great six months so far because I've been able to kind of loosen up some of that control of those alerts and, uh, kind of just let the pump do what it does. So what were you on before? So I was on a Medtronic 770G, Minimed 770G before, 670G before that, and then uh, Paradigm uh, Revel before that. So um, just sort of regular sort of run-of-the-mill insulin pumps up until 2018 when I got on the 670G. So I've been doing some some form of hybrid closed loop since then. So why do you choose Medtronic over the other pumps? Well, I think the 780G to me has the best algorithm. Uh, and it has like the most control, like, you know, when you talk about auto correction boluses, you talk about mealtime detection technology, uh, for me, like having that aggressive algorithm that can optimize down to a hundred milligrams per deciliter was something that was important. And I think too, just having the sort of backing of, uh, you know, one of the largest and longstanding, uh, diabetes manufacturers is also, uh, you know, was important to me. So certainly there are cool products on the market again, like it's a very personal decision, uh, but the Medtronic one made the most sense for me. And and I think I'm really happy with that decision to work with them and, you know, continue using their products uh, because, you know, now I have like the seven day extended wear infusion set. I've got the Guardian 4 sensor that only requires one finger stick uh, per week. Uh, so, you know, fewer finger sticks, fewer sight changes, fewer alerts, like that's a winning formula for me. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I don't hear about Medtronic that often. So that's why I'm like, oh, this is good to know. Because even I, I just went to my endocrinologist and she was like, oh, there's, you know, she only said two, there's Omnipod and there's Tandem. So it's so interesting that they don't, like, why do you think doctors aren't recommending it as much? I don't know. The, the real answer is like, they just have different, they have different relationships with reps. So every doctor has a different relationship with their reps and, and you know, how they uh, how they kind of prescribe. So, uh, Dexcom and, uh, Omnipod in particular are great products. They are popular on, on the diabetes online social community. Uh, I think Dexcom, I think is also like just easily integrated into iPhones and Apple watches and universally accepted, I think, you know, like as, as sort of that leader in the CGM side. So I don't know if that's true necessarily, but, uh, it, I think it's popular. It, it, it integrates with the phone. It's a standalone CGM and it also integrates with the tandem pump. So, uh, I think, you know, the thing I, I asked Medtronic about earlier this year was like, are, are you going to integrate with other products? And the answer that uh, Q Delara, their uh, president of the diabetes group told me was they're taking a more like Apple computers approach where like if they can control the CGM and they can control the algorithm and they control the device, they can guarantee a better experience. And so uh, it's kind of just like Apple versus Android, you know, Android allows you a little bit more customizability and, and you get to use different products. Uh, and on the Apple side, everything's more like, you know, Apple branded. And so you have pros and cons with that. Uh, so I think, again, it's just, it's a personal choice for the prescribers. It's also a personal choice for the patients. And, you know, I think just making sure, and that's one of the things I think getting involved in the diabetes community, finding information and like hearing from people either like me or, or just friends who have used some of the different products and have uh, their preferences and are willing to share their experience, I think is uh, really important. Yeah. I'm on MDI and I've been considering a pump. So I'm like, I haven't even considered Medtronic. So I probably should look into that a little bit. 
Well, I actually took a pump break last year and was on the InPen, which was originally made by Companion Medical and Medtronic now owns. Uh, and so you get all the same data that you go with a pump through the smart insulin pen. And so, you know, you can see insulin on board and you can see carb ratios and you can see, uh, you know, uh, all of your data kind of integrated from, with the CGM and their app. Uh, and, you know, even MDI, like which most people are on, like most, most people treat their diabetes with multiple daily injections, even though it seems like pumps are really popular. Yeah. still a smaller percentage of the population. So, you know, I think it's just like good, there's technology every day that's making life with diabetes. I don't want to say easier, but it's kind of relieving that burden of doing it all yourself and you can get more technology, like better algorithms, more AI, like more, di there's so many like diabetes helper apps or carb counting apps and like things that can help you uh, get the information you need to have the control that you want. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So do you have any scary low stories? Yeah, I do. I mean, low blood sugars are, are obviously scary. And I think people, you know, when you think about like the fears of diabetes, like, you know, not feeling a low in the night and like having a seizure or, you know, having a low while you're driving or doing something is, is always kind of in the back of our mind. And I'm sure for parents as well is like probably one of the biggest fears, but yeah, you know, I've had some lows that are pretty low, like below 20 milligrams per deciliter, you know, like really, really low. I'm very fortunate I haven't lost consciousness uh, from a low blood sugar. But the story that I tell the most is uh, I, I went to Japan in 2015 on this solo trip, and I really wanted to do that for a while and kind of experience, you know, what Japan is like. And it's just an amazing place. And one of the things that you do is like a top TripAdvisor tourist thing is the Arches stop, which is in Kyoto. It's like 10,000 arches up this like hill and you can go through them all. And they've been there for thousands of years. It's, it's truly incredible. I thought it was going to be a little bit of a shorter hike than it was. And so I was just on my Paradigm 550 mini med uh, pump at the time. So no CGM, no automated insulin delivery. And I blitzed through my low snacks. So I just didn't have, I, I ate them all. And I got all the way up. I'm at the top of the temple of the fox god. And I'm like, oh man, I'm sweaty. I'm feeling not great. I test my blood sugar on my glucometer and I'm like 45. So I'm like, okay, I'm like a mile and a half from the train stop. There's like, I'm going to have to like suspend my pump, like, and then like figure out how to get down or like ask somebody else around me, like for some sweet drink or something. And I, and as I'm doing that, I'm like looking around and I see right up here at the very top of the temple of the Fox God is this tiny little vending machine. And so I like bought a Coke and I sat there on the top of the steps uh, and I sipped my little like Japanese Coke. And I was like, first of all, in Japan, there's never a place where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. There's like a there's a little vending machine somewhere close by. And I think, again, it was just like a funny moment of like, just when you think you've got everything figured out or you like, you've planned as well as you can, or that you're completely out of luck. Uh, and you're like going to have a really difficult moment. Like sometimes the, the temple of the Fox God can provide a vending machine. You never know. There's Coca-Cola <laughs> everywhere. Thank God for that vending machine. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. And like the relief of that too, just being like, Oh, finally, like, okay, I don't have to like work my way through this diabetes problem. I can just take a, take a breather, buy this Coke and then keep it moving. Did you have cell service? Like, would you have been able to call like 911 if you needed to? Yeah, probably. I don't know how Japanese 911 works, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I would have been, it would have been fine. Wow. So what is your like favorite low snack? What's your typical go-to? 
You know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this question when uh, you sent them over. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but my go-to, like, and I've used it for years. I love Haribo gummy bears. I don't love them. They're medicine to me. So it's like, you know, where some people are like, oh yeah, gummy bears. I'm like, yeah, like I eat these all the time. Uh, so yeah, I just keep them in the pantry. My wife does an awesome job of kind of being our supply. She's our inventory manager of the family. So she makes sure that I've got those like uh, ready at all times. And I carry them everywhere I go with my little crossbody bag and my stasher bag in there is, is gummy bears, which, you know, I, I need from time to time. So why that brand? I was like, I have Welchers literally right here next to me. <laughs> yeah. So I had never heard of the brand before. And then I had this friend of mine in college, she was like, oh yeah, these, these gummy bears are the best gummy bears. Like I just, you know, they don't have them everywhere, but they're always the best. And I was like, interesting. I've like never heard of these. So I got her some and of course I had to try them. I was like, oh, I really like these. Uh, so I don't know. I just like them. I think they're, they're easy to eat. They're uh, like two carbs each. So you don't have to eat a ton of them to get you back up and hot weather, cold weather, like they, even if they're stale, they're, they still work. So yeah, I don't know. I think they're shelf stable. They're easy to pack. They're not heavy. It's not because I used to carry when I was younger, like juice, but juice is like liquid. So it doesn't go through TSA. So there's all, you know, all those things. So I think for me, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's shelf stable. It gets your blood sugar up and the taste isn't too bad. You know, it's not gluten-free though. And I'm unfortunately gluten-free, so I can't True. do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't have celiac or any gluten intolerance, so I, I'm biased there. I, I think they do. I, I imagine they do have like a gluten-free version, but uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the generic one is not, not gluten-free. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so what do you think type 1 diabetes will be like in 10 years? It's interesting. You know, there are people walking around right now who don't have diabetes anymore, who are in clinical trials for, you know, some of the prevention bio, you know, medicine, and they are on immunosuppressants, but their diabetes effectively is cured. So 10 years from now, you know, I think there's going to be two paths. There's going to be an option where if you want to go that route and you want to say, well, I'd rather just take immunosuppressants rather than learn to manage diabetes, that'll be a route that you can go. I think the biggest hurdle for that right now is going to be how much does that cost? Uh, it's it's not a not a minimally invasive, cheap operation. It is certainly uh, you know expensive and you know I would say largely inaccessible. And then on the other side is, hey, uh, diabetes is uh, diabetes management systems, kind of like the ones that we've talked about in the past five years have come a, a long way, like from the first automated insulin delivery system and like DIY loop in like 2018, 2017 to now uh, where we've got multiple options. You mentioned all the brands, uh, more aggressive algorithms, more machine learning to help uh, with mealtime. And, you know, you're looking at studies, uh, a pediatric study in the Minimed 780G where, you know, they, they had a group that didn't bolus for mealtime. They just, they just let the pump do what it does. And they still were able to get 70% time and range over the course of the study. So, you know, when you're talking about people who are having a hard time learning about counting carbs or forget to bolus, you know, these, these new systems that are coming or that are currently out and that are coming based on what I've seen at, you know, diabetes events and kind of getting to be behind the scenes that some of these things are, you know, less input from us more machine learning, more be better algorithms, uh, more technology, and kind of taking that mental burden away from diabetes to the point where 10 years from now, they probably won't have to teach patients to how to count carbs at the hospital. Uh, you'll just have uh, the CGM will do the readings, the pump will give the, the doses. There may be a, a true like closed loop where you have like glucagon in the pump as well, that they can, you know, get your blood sugar up or down depending on what 
it is. And so I think there'll be like a really nice pathway for if you want to continue to manage your diabetes. I think that's like my choice right now is if I was given the chance to either cure my diabetes and take immunosuppressants or just continue to manage my diabetes with uh, technology, I would probably choose to continue just because it's sort of the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Pretty comfortable with with who I am and, and what I want to do with with diabetes. And at the same time, if you didn't want to do that or you had that option and you wanted to pursue the the functional cure, I would encourage you to do that. Yeah, except it's the immunosuppressants. It's like, I feel like that just brings a whole nother issue. You know, it's like you have to learn now how to survive with that. Like it's so it's, if you're, if you've already had type one, I feel like I agree. I would rather just get a pump that can hopefully control everything. <laughs> yeah, you might still have to do some things, but just a, a, like a pancreas basically on, on the outside of your body. Yeah, you know, I think that that's where we're headed, right? And um, and even if it's not a pump, even if it's just using more technology and multiple daily injections, if that's something, you know, a lot of people don't want to be tethered to something or have like another a bunch of things on their body. Uh, I was like that too. But I think, you know, for me, I, that's the choice that I'm making now is to be on a tubed insulin pump that, you know, gets data in from the the CGM makes decisions on my behalf. And then basically all I have to do is, is make sure I let it know when I'm eating and give and bolus for my meals. So that's something that, you know, for me 10 years ago, which would have been, you know, nine years into my life with diabetes would be sound like the most futuristic, insane thing ever. And so like now I think, okay, 10 years from now, how different am I going to feel about what's out there? And, and I'm, and I'm optimistic and hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any last tips for our listeners, for somebody newly diagnosed? I do. Make a friend with diabetes. That's the biggest hack. It's so, you can just learn so many things so quickly. Uh, it normalizes the, the disease. It normalizes all the challenges. Same thing for parents, like make a friend who has a kid with diabetes uh, or cares for somebody with diabetes. So, you know, that I think is, is, is my number one hack you know, I, we did our diabetes legends clinic in, in Denver and, you know, a lot of the parents stuck around with their kids and were kind of watching in the stands. And a lot of times in our lives with diabetes, we're the only person in the room with, with diabetes. Uh, maybe you have a friend if you're lucky, uh, or if you get to go to diabetes camp or uh, a diabetes meetup, like you're for the first time you're in a room with a bunch of people who have diabetes. And the thing at our clinic that I saw like a light bulb moment for many of our parents was there were multiple kids throughout the day who stepped out of the drills and they went to the med staff booth and they got a low blood sugar station. They checked their sugars. They got a juice box. They got a Gatorade. They got a, a snack. And then they went back in and you can feel when you're the only person with diabetes, you can feel a lot of shame around that. And so, you know, what I challenge the campers to do, and I would uh, really encourage your listeners to do is to make a friend with diabetes, just to normalize how weird it is and how up and down it is. And just to not feel so alone when you're managing it, because you don't have to explain it to them. They understand and diabetes is tough, but you can handle it. And I think a big part of that, and there are clinical outcomes and research to support it, that making friends with diabetes dra dramatically improve your outcomes across the board. Mm -hmm. And not to mention just your, I feel like your overall happiness. For sure. Which is like, you know, it's hard to quantify, right? But you know, when you live with diabetes, you're three times as likely to suffer from anxiety and depression. And you know, combine that with just the sort of state of the world that we live in. Uh, our brains are not wired for the abundance of the modern world. So we can think of something and have it delivered to us like almost instantly. And, you know, our brains are not wired for that. A hundred years ago, we were, you know, still chopping logs and uh, living without air conditioning. So it's so important to, you know, take care of your mental health. And I think a great way to do that is 
just to have a friend that you can talk to about what's going on with your blood sugar and your diabetes. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great to chat with you. And uh, yeah, if you guys want to connect with me online, uh, I'm very online. Just search Rob Howe Diabetes and uh, I will pop up and uh, yeah, give us a follow at Diabetics Doing Things. We're doing more events next year uh, and uh, lots of really cool resources coming for people with diabetes. So uh, keep it locked. You do your events all over the country? Yeah. So uh, right now, last year, this year, I guess this year, 2023, we set out to do four events, uh, which we did. So we did a coffee shop meetup in Dallas in uh, in the spring. We did a virtual event with our partners at North Texas Food Bank uh, in the summer. Uh, then we did Diabetes Legends in Denver in the fall, uh, which is our youth event. And then we just finished uh, two weeks ago, the Diabetics Doing Things Pickleball Classic. Uh, which was a tournament here in Dallas, Fort Worth. So uh, next year we will do another event in Denver in the fall, uh, another diabetes legends clinic. Uh, so if you have a, a, a young person with diabetes in your life, who is between the ages of seven and uh, 17, keep it out, keep an eye out for that this fall. Uh, we're doing one in Dallas as well in the spring and, you know, a, a lot of more exciting things for diabetes creators as well. So lots of things coming from us uh, wow. in this, in this next year. That's awesome. It sounds exciting. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Make sure to head over to type1tribe.com. We have a bunch of fun blood sugar friendly snacks on the site. We have a bunch of accessories, including clothing. I don't know if you guys have seen my party pancreas crew neck, but it's one of my favorites. So go check it out. We have some tank tops so you can get ready for the summer. We have a hat. We have bags and cases. We have really just a bunch of other accessories, coffee mugs, bracelets, water bottles. I mean, so many things on there. Go check it out. See if there's anything you like. I also want to invite you, if you have a Facebook, to go to groups and join the Type 1 Tribe group. We have a bunch of people on there. To be honest, we haven't spent a ton of time yet in the past on this Facebook group, but this year I want to make sure we are spending a lot of time in there. So go ahead, head to Facebook, go to Type 1 Tribe in groups and find us there. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.